1: Biden executive actions on tariffs benefit Chinese solar panels.
2: That is all politics, which is what the climate movement has evolved into.
1: It is a purely political movement. The International Atomic Energy Agency warns Iran is nearing the amount of nuclear material needed for a bomb. They are very close anyway. They are very, very close. The U.N. sounds the alarm over what they say is a coming worldwide food shortage during the war
3: in Ukraine. It's going to hit the Middle East. It's going to hit Africa. There will be starvation. There will be mass exoduses.
1: This is the Daybreak Insider Podcast. Your first look at today's top stories for Tuesday, June 7th. I'm Mike Scott. Ukrainian and Russian troops are fighting street by street for control of the industrial city of Severodonetsk in a battle of the Kremlin offensive in the Ukraine's eastern Donbass region. Which side has the upper hand is unclear, but the city has become the main target of the Russian offensive in the Donbass. In Moscow, President Vladimir Putin warned the U.S. in an interview broadcast on Sunday that Russia would strike new targets if the West supplied longer-range missiles to Ukraine. Additionally, Russia's foreign ministry has called U.S. news media outlets to a meeting to warn their accreditations and visas could be withdrawn if the U.S. does not rescind measures limiting Russian journalists there. Meanwhile, President Volodymyr Zelensky of Ukraine called out several American cities for having sister cities in Russia during a video address to the U.S. Conference of Mayors meeting on Friday. He suggested those relationships should be severed by saying quote, what do those ties give to you? Probably nothing. Vice President of the Catherine and Shelby Cullum Davis Institute for International Studies at the Heritage Foundation. Lieutenant Colonel James Carafano joined the Salem Radio Network discussing the latest threats from Russia and where the Ukrainian army stands in the fight over 100 days into the conflict.
4: So, uh, look, I would never treat anything Putin says as a bluff. But having said that, Putin threatens because... He he thinks people will back down and he, and he won't have to do anything. So the way you respond to Putin threats is, is to respond with strength, and that's that's a deterrent. So uh, I, I, I don't think – I mean, it's just the nonsense of this, that Putin strikes with impunity a, a, across hundreds of miles of Ukrainian territory, destroy just- Innocent lives, hospitals, architecture, schools, within, and then and then and then complains that people that Ukraine might want to fight back. I mean, that's just it's just
1: nonsense. Carafano says that Russia has reshaped their battle tactics.
4: I think Russia is showing every signs of moving to the long game. Uh, that uh, uh, you know Putin is going to bank uh, much interest innocent- in London. That eventually the West will lose interest, and then he'll come back in because you know it's hard to make it look pretty at this point i mean if you actually look at the internal messaging um you know we're at war with NATO not with ukraine uh this is a, you know this is a generational war he's already kind of shifted into the the long term um conflict and so I think he's he's banking on look let's 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 be clear Putin was a thousand percent right when he was invaded he he said the west will do nothing the United States will blink Europe will blink he was right they did the only reason why we are where we are is because one, his military operation was a failure and two, the Ukrainians fought back. And then literally the west was shamed into responding and supporting Ukraine.
1: Looking ahead, Carofano in his opinion is not confident that the Biden administration can handle the threat of Russia long term.
4: What are the two things that make Putin a threat to the west? One is his the military and that is are we going to move to a forward defense of NATO that that demonstrates the capability to kill anything that crosses the NATO territory and really seriously deter Putin at the conventional and strategic level? Are we going to are we going to get off of Russian energy and have affordable, reliable energy in the transatlantic community without having to buy it from Russia? And then the third thing we have to answer, is, which is, the, you know, which is also our question is. is what are you gonna do about these countries that are stuck in the middle, which are the, 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 the buttons that Putin can always push to make trouble in the Balkans, in Ukraine, in Georgia, in Moldova? You know, How are you gonna continue to show support for them so that they're, they're um, I mean, look, they may never fully integrate into the West, but you don't want Putin to be able to push a button every time he wants to make trouble. So these are big, tough, serious issues. And I just don't see this administration having the leadership to do that.
1: The head of the U.N. nuclear watchdog group, the International Atomic Energy Agency, is urging Iran to cooperate with inspectors amid a standoff over its atomic energy program and a threat by Western nations to censure Tehran over its non-cooperation. The meeting comes at a tense time for the future of the negotiations over Iran's nuclear program. Iran has limited the IAEA's monitoring activities for more than a year and has failed to provide information about discovered nuclear material at three of Iran's sites. The head of the UN's nuclear watchdog, General Rafael Grossi, repeats his warnings that Iran is nearing the amount of nuclear material necessary to create a bomb. They are very close anyway. They are very,
0: very close. So, uh, uh, and uh, for all we can say and see, the development of new uh, uh, centrifuges uh, continue in Iran, which means that they want to have technology to produce more and faster.
1: Grossi goes on to say, it benefits no one if cooperation between his agency and Iran deteriorates further. It's in no one's interest that the cooperation between the agency and Iran
0: diminishes even further. So I I hope that this will not be the case.
1: President Joe Biden ordered emergency measures Monday to boost crucial supplies to U.S. solar manufacturers and declared a two-year tariff exemption on solar panels from Southeast Asia as he attempts to jumpstart progress toward his... Climate change fighting goals. Yahoo Finance Live's Akiko Fujita. Explains it this way.
5: The Biden administration waives tariffs on solar imports for two years. Now, we're talking specifically about new tariffs uh, for these imports that come in through four Southeast Asian countries. So, we're talking about Malaysia, Vietnam, um, Cambodia, as well as Thailand. Now, the the backstory here, I think, is a really important one to know. These tariffs have been in place since 2012. So the tariffs aren't necessarily new, but there's been an investigation by the Commerce Department looking at specifically whether Chinese manufacturers of these solar panels have been trying to circumvent the tariffs by rerouting them through the Southeast Asian countries. Now, that uh, Commerce Department investigation, some have argued, has really essentially brought solar panel production to a halt in the U.S. Now,
1: President Biden's invoking of the Defense Production Act and his other executive actions come amid complaints by industry groups that the solar sector is being slowed by supply chain problems due to a Commerce Department inquiry into possible trade violations involving Chinese products. Word of the White House's actions caused solar energy companies to gain ground on Wall Street. In a briefing at the White House, Press Secretary Corinne Jean Pierre says President Biden wants to increase supplies to solar manufacturers.
5: He is putting the full force of the federal government's purchasing power behind supporting American clean energy manufacturers. And he is providing U.S. solar uh, deployers uh, the short-term stability they need to build clean energy uh, projects and deliver more affordability energy to American families and business.
1: Jean-Pierre says it is the Biden administration that needs to take emergency steps to boost U.S. production.
5: For this particular Clean Energy Defense uh, Production Act, uh, he is invoking the Defense Production Act to rapidly expand uh, domestic production uh, of solar panel parts, building insulation, heat pumps and more. It
1: is Jean-Pierre's opinion that the move is a jumpstart toward progress on the president's climate change goals.
5: These historic actions will cut costs for American families, strengthen our power grid, and tackle the climate crisis. And with a stronger, clean uh, energy arsenal, the United States can be an even stronger partner to our allies, especially in the face of Putin's war in Ukraine.
1: Critics point out that the president's invocation of the Defense Production Act to produce solar panels is forcing private companies to comply with a demand to transition away from oil and gas. Climate Depot's Mark Morano joined America First with Sebastian Gorka to discuss how climate change is no longer about science, but about politics. Moreno says the idea of a consensus among climate scientists is simply not true.
2: They got a survey of 10,000-plus scientists, whittled it down, kept whittling it down to 77 anonymous scientists. We don't know their names. We don't know their affiliations. We don't know uh, their backgrounds or what their exact position. All we know is they answered two questions. The climate warming up and if humans caused it, many skeptical scientists, not humans caused it, but humans contribute. Many skeptical scientists would agree. That was the basis for 75 out of 77 anonymous scientists. And then later, another study was done by a guy in Australia, and a U.N. uh, lead scientist went and looked at it, and he said that study was quite literally pulled from thin air. None of the data supported the 97% claims that came out of it.
1: Moreno points out that the climate movement has become purely political.
2: This is essentially a way to stifle debate, to shut up any dissent, and to appeal to authority, which everything I just mentioned is not science. That is all Politics, which is what the climate movement has evolved into, it is a purely political movement claiming to have some kind of scientific, um, uh, scientific, uh, uh, untouchable spirit to it.
1: Moreno goes on to explain how climatologist Judith Curry was labeled a heretic for her dissenting view.
2: Well, one of the people I profiled in the, my first book, The Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate, was Judith Curry. She was the head of uh, the uh, Georgia Institute of Technology of their Earth Science Department, the head scientist, highly respected. She was with the UN Climate View. Climategate, the big scandal that came and showed that the top UN scientists were colluding with journal editors and creating a campaign cause with politics and shaping a media image, to enforcing a climate narrative with no dissent, came, and Judith Curry... Uh, who's a climatologist, literally walked away from it and started questioning it all. Because she did that, she was featured on Scientific American as a, quote, heretic, unquote. This is the language people use in religion to attack people, and they they brought that over to science.
1: A Georgetown lecturer has resigned, saying he was forced out of his university over comments critical of President Biden's refusal to consider anyone but a black woman for his first Supreme Court nominee. Daybreak Insiders, Bob Agnew has more on this story. President Biden fulfilled a campaign pledge by nominating Ketanji Brown Jackson, who won confirmation in the Senate. Ilya Shapiro, a guest lecturer at the time, noted the presence of what he saw as more qualified candidates, lamenting the fact that there would be what he called a lesser black woman on the court. Spared dismissal only because he was not an employee at the time. The now tenured Shapiro resigned Monday, noting the Georgetown Diversity Office was waiting to dismiss him the moment he deviated from the school's progressive orthodoxy. But I report. The United Nations is warning that the war in Ukraine risks aggravating inflating prices and causing a full-on global food crisis in some areas. The UN's Food and Agriculture Organization Food Price Index in May showed prices were about 22.8 percent higher compared with a year earlier. Those prices are being pushed higher by concerns over Russia's invasion of Ukraine, one of the world's major breadbaskets. Luca Russo, the FAO's lead analyst for food crises, says that Russia's invasion of Ukraine is sending energy prices higher. The cost of delivering aid is increasing as well. The risk of a severe food crisis is particularly felt in the developing world, he warned. KT McFarland, the former deputy national security advisor under the Trump administration, joined Fox News discussing the potential food crisis, how to deal with it, and her thoughts on lowering tariffs on some Chinese goods.
3: Any country with a navy, frankly, should help escort those grain tankers as well as other kinds of foodstuff commodity carriers out of the Ukrainian ports. This is not just about Ukraine, this is about the world. And Ukraine doesn't just export wheat, for example. It exports um, sunflower, sunflower oil. Sunflower oil is a major ingredient in fast foods. It's a major ingredient in vegetable oil. We are looking within a few months at a major food shortage. Probably not as much in the United States because we're very abundant with our farmlands and our agricultural industry but around the world. It's going it's to hit the Middle East. It's going to hit Africa. There will be starvation. There will be mass exoduses. There will be refugees leaving these regions. So yeah, I think we should escort them. I think other countries with a Navy should escort them. And I wouldn't wait till the Russians start blockading ports. I'd start doing it now.
1: McFarland says that every country should be concerned about Russia blocking the shipment of foodstuffs from Ukrainian
3: ports. It's not just U.S. Navy ships. I would say, again, any country with a Navy who imports wheat and oils should be part of this flotilla, should be part of this convoy protection. Russia's not going to take on the entire world over this issue and to do it, frankly, as a matter of deterrence. Now, are we going to risk being in the Black Sea where the Russians have said, no, this is ours, stay out? We've been in the black sea for years so no i don't I, I i think that this is one place where again it's not just about ukraine now it's a humanitarian disaster that will be facing not just the region not just europe but frankly the whole world within six months
1: mcfarland reacts to the biden administration announcing it would lift some tariffs on chinese goods to try and lower inflation.
3: They're, the only thing that's going to really take a dent out of inflation is if President Biden lifts or pauses or halts his war against American fossil fuels. That's what's driving inflation. It's gasoline prices. It's diesel oil prices. It's the fact that petroleum is used in everything from cosmetics to clothing. Stop that war on fossil fuels, on American fossil fuels. You'll fix inflation so fast, but yet they won't do it.
1: Elon Musk is threatening to end his $44 billion agreement to buy Twitter, accusing the company of refusing to give him information about its spam bot accounts. Lawyers for the Tesla and SpaceX CEO made that threat in a letter to Twitter dated Monday that the social platform included in a filing with the SEC. The letter says Musk has repeatedly asked for the information since May 9 so he could evaluate how many of the company's 2.29 million accounts are fake. A message was left early Monday seeking comment from Twitter. Daybreak Insider's Rich Thomason has details on that part of the story. The Tesla and SpaceX CEO accuses the company of refusing to hand over information about its spam bot accounts. Attorneys for Musk issuing the threat in a letter to Twitter that the social media platform included in a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission. The letter says Musk has repeatedly asked for the information since May 9th so he can evaluate how many of the company's 229 million accounts are bogus. Rich Thomason reporting. Jill Biden on Monday praised Nancy Reagan as a first lady who made a difference as the current first lady hosted the unveiling of a new U.S. postal stamp honoring a woman who held the role 40 years before Biden stepped into it. Daybreak Insiders, Shelley Adler has more on the unveiling.
3: Not only was the audience pleased as the stamp was revealed... The First Lady loved it, too. Isn't the stamp just beautiful? At the White House ceremony, Jill Biden said First Lady Nancy Reagan served the American people with grace.
5: She understood that the role of First Lady came with inherent pitfalls. And scrutiny.
3: The issuance of the forever first-class stamp bearing Nancy Reagan's image is part of a year-long celebration of the former First Lady Centennial by the Ronald Reagan Presidential Foundation and Institute. I'm Shelley Adler.
1: And finally, several dozen World War II veterans attended D-Day commemoration ceremonies Monday in France. For two years, D-Day ceremonies were reduced to a minimum amid COVID-19 restrictions. This year, crowds of French and international visitors are back in Normandy for the 78th anniversary. The ceremonies pay tribute to the nearly 160,000 troops from Britain, the U.S., Canada, and elsewhere who landed on French beaches on June 6, 1944 to restore freedom to Europe after Nazi occupation. World War II veteran Charles Shea says he feels badly for the people of Ukraine and wonders why that war had to happen.
6: I think the human being likes to, I think they like to fight. I don't know, but uh, we see this and now what's going on. In 40, 1944, I landed on these beaches and, and we thought, We would bring peace to the world, but it's not
1: possible. Shea says his message to the younger generation is to remain ever vigilant.
6: They should protect their freedom that they have now. And uh, if they have to fight again for it, well, there's nothing we can do about it.
1: Shay, a Penobscot tribal elder, says an Iraq War veteran will be taking over his duties, conducting a cleansing smoke ceremony to mark D-Day at Omaha Beach.
6: I always, always had this ceremony, held this ceremony, but I cannot do it anymore. And the Spirit has sent this woman to me to take my place, and she will be take prepared and celebrating the ceremony each year from now on. I will not be here
1: anymore. Subscribe to the Daybreak Insider podcast at Apple or Google Podcast, Spotify, or Salem podcast Network.com. Get our companion Daybreak Insider newsletter each morning at DaybreakInsider.com. Ongoing coverage of breaking news and commentary at SRNNews.com and TownHall.com.